back, everybody, to the You Heard It Here First podcast. I'm your visiting host, Pastor Josh. Sammy DeYoung is on vacation this week, and so I'm filling in today on the podcast. We have an interview with Pastor Ken and uh, had the chance to interview him uh, earlier today, and I'm excited about sharing that. And uh, we also have a special guest co-host introduction today. We've got Heidi Wasink with us in the studio. How are you doing, Heidi? I'm doing great. Yeah, it's Wednesday today. Good day. And uh, it's kind of a busy day in the office today. What do you got tonight? You've got your disco pants on. Right. I have my pink Puma shoes (laughs) to go with the uh, Gems t-shirt. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. That's the gems theme. Mm -hmm. It's kind of nice because I don't have to, you know, worry about what to wear on Wednesdays. (laughs) I can just wear this shirt. Now, I had heard a rumor that there are a few people who really love these shirts. Mm -hmm. And uh, are they going to be made available? Yes. Okay. Like, I believe it's a gems fundraiser kind of thing. So, yeah, plenty of people expressed how nice they are. Should we expect a Gems t-shirt section in the worship center when these go viral? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> then people won't have to worry about what to wear on Sunday That's mornings true. either. <laughs> I, I have wondered if, uh, you know, some schools have school uniforms yeah. and you can either wear the, the polo or the t-shirt. What it would look like if churches had uniforms that could be interesting. You had to wear first Colorville <laughs> swag. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe we should try that. Would we have closed shoes or open shoes? Oh, right. Yeah. Heels, no heels. Now, uh, in the church you grew up in, um, right. what was the what was typical dress mm. for women, for girls? I mean, I remember right. my dad used to wear a suit. He hasn't worn a suit and a tie and decades now right. but um what was pastors that? don't even wear suit and ties anymore <laughs> wow calling me out <laughs> on the podcast well you can edit that out if you want <laughs> now nah, we'll leave it in uh yeah no it was quite you know formal uh yes the coat the tie dresses could women wear pants to church oh boy maybe at night maybe at night okay yeah. night what about service. shorts Oh, no. No shorts, no. even for like boys or? I don't recall that. No, okay. no. Well, I remember when uh, kids our age started wearing shorts mm-hmm. and we, of course, wanted to, to do that because it was hot. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, those are just interesting right? experiences. Yes. Uh, yeah, we don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. I saw, yeah, a couple of the GEMS counselors wore their t-shirts on the, yeah. the kickoff Sunday. Right. And uh I did get one comment a long time ago. If you remember way back during COVID, I wore my yellow t-shirt. Go, grow, bless. Go, grow, bless. And I wore that. Yep. And I had asked somebody if I could wear that. Um, Mm -hmm. And they said, probably not every week. (laughs) (laughs) Only if you're outside. (laughs) I think even then there was a little bit of a, uh, maybe not every week, Mm -hmm. maybe one time. So I, I thought that was good. Yeah. Anything else we should know as uh, we look forward to the... Oh, let's see. Sunday is Josh and Jenny. Oh, yeah. Gala coming. Question and answer time. Potluck. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah. It'll be a good, good fellowship time and get to mingle a little bit. Maybe learn more about 
them personally. And that's always, I always find that helpful when you're praying for someone, if you just have a little more deeper connection that way. So. Absolutely. Well, this uh, interview with Pastor Ken gets into the weeds quite a bit with ministry. So stick around and we'll see you, everybody. Welcome back, everybody, to the You Heard It Here First podcast. I'm your guest host today, uh, Pastor Josh, filling in for Sammy DeYoung while she's on vacation. And uh, we have a special guest here today, Pastor Ken Van Wyk. And uh, thanks for being on the podcast today and making time for uh, for us. You're welcome. So I think most of the folks around here know you. You've been here uh, just over 25 years. Is that correct? 26 and a half. 26 and a half. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got settled in here at First Colorville? Okay, thank you. I am the husband of one wife, the father of two sons and one daughter, and I'm papa to 11 grandkids from ages 23 is the oldest, seven is the youngest, seven boys, four girls. Do you know all their uh, birthdays too and have all that that straight and keep that straight or do you get some help from Sandy? I think I know them all by heart. (laughs) That's good. So uh, you and Sandy have been here at First Colorville for 26 and a half years. Uh, Tell us, uh, just remind us what your role is now and what it was when you first started. When I first began... I was essentially an associate pastor because when I came, Pastor Sweats had not yet retired. So for the first eight plus months, we uh, co-pastored. When he retired, then I became the lead pastor and we had um, non-ordained people on staff in a variety of roles. We had seminary interns, we had youth pastors, etc. About four years after being here, the congregation decided to call a second full-time ordained pastor. So uh, Dan Gritter and I were ministry colleagues for 11 years. And then about six months after Pastor Dan left, I retired. So did you know that uh, Pastor Sweats was going to be retiring when you took the call here originally way back when? Yes, when I had the call here, I was told that Pastor Sweats had informed the congregation several years in advance of his retirement date. And so the last Sunday he led worship service here was his 62nd birthday. So this was, it was well known to the congregation, and I became aware of that in the process of uh, having a call here. So you had about nine months of overlap. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And uh, was that a, it was, it was your third ministry stop, correct? Correct. So uh, remind our listeners, or maybe tell for the first time our listeners, if they don't know you, where else you served over the last uh, 40 plus years of ministry? Became or an ordained pastor in 1972, first serving the congregation up north in McBain for six years, four months. Then we moved to Zealand, and I was the pastor at Haven Christian Reformed Church for not 
quite 17 and a half years. And I served full-time here at First Cutlerville for 16 years and two months before retiring. You asked earlier about my role now. So before I retired, council had spoken with me about possible interest in a pastor of visitation role. And I said, I would be interested in having a conversation. And they said, we will have a conversation with you after um, you've had some time off. So it was about nine months after I had retired that they came back to me. We had a conversation and 2013, I began this role as pastor of visitation. Was the role that you're serving in now something that you had wanted to do when you retired? Was it in the back of your mind? How had, how had you thought about that? I hadn't thought much about it until they approached me about it. I thought certainly one advantage I would have is that being a pastor here full-time for 16-plus years, I knew quite well those I would be visiting and calling on. It wasn't as though these would be all new people and sure. have to listen to and learn their stories. I knew the stories of most of them. And deeply so thought, cared about them. Yes, they're good people. Yeah. One of the questions I had signaled to you that I wanted to ask is, given the fact that you've been in ministry 45 plus years, uh, how have you seen the church change? You've had three stops along the way. Obviously, those stops are all a little different. Yeah, describe a little bit about some of those things that you've seen change within the church, maybe change within the role of pastor. Well, Josh, for historical perspective, when I began serving as an ordained pastor, the Vietnam War had not yet ended. Wow. That's that's a long time ago. Yeah. That's a long time ago. So indeed, there have been many changes. Early on in ministry, my hair was down to at least the bottom of my ears. So it hasn't been that long for a long time. <laughs> and just as a point of reference, my hair to the bottom of my ears was about the shortest of any of the men in church. Well, I remember you saying that uh, there was what uh, churches that would not call pastors who had long hair. When I was in seminary, uh, the last year especially, I would lead worship services on Sunday and I would often be appointed to lead worship because they didn't want long hair or they didn't want facial hair. And sideburns and, were okay. Well, <laughs> but then many of these congregations had long histories. And so you meet in the council room before the service for prayer. And you see the pictures of former pastors and many of them had facial hair and beards. Yeah, that was uh, a pretty common thing. It was. And, but never for me. And <laughs> never for you. As I say, have you ever had uh, facial hair or? No. No. Yeah. It I, would take me a long time to grow a beard if I could at all. Well, in our house, um, facial hair is not allowed. So that's why there's none on my face. <laughs> <laughs> how did the roles, uh, your role as pastor, how did that change or uh, how did that evolve over time as you move from McBain to Haven to first to your role now? Obviously, this is a very specific role as pastor of visitation, yep. but how did, how did some of that change occur? 
Well, role and responsibility as a pastor, some things are the same and constant in every congregation. For example, preaching and teaching. Visitation was quite was significantly different in the three congregations that I pastored. In the first congregation, McBain was significantly smaller than this, but we had many widows and widowers, and so there were lots of visits that I made and funerals that I led. When I moved to Haven, it was a younger congregation. In the 17 plus years I served at Haven, in that entire time, we only ever had one member that lived in a nursing home or care facility, and that was for a period of less than one year. Wow. We had many younger families. We had probably six to eight years in which we had 20 to 25 baptisms every year. Wow, that's incredible. So the nature of the age of the congregation uh, has a an impact on the pastoral part of a kind of uh, role of a sure. minister. And now you're sort of uh, back to that. Back to here, back to first Cutlerville, lots of older members. When we were being introduced to the congregation, there was one sweet couple no longer living. And the gentleman said to Sandy, as we were meeting them at a fellowship time after a service, just look at me and you'll remember me. I'm the old guy with gray hair. <laughs> and Sandy said to him, what do you mean? There are lots of you older guys with gray hair. But those comments that Wes Ventinen had made to Sandy stuck and she never had a problem <laughs> remembering his name or who he was. Even though there were lots of gray hair gentlemen. Yes. <laughs> so uh, you and I have both spoken about the... Uh, wonderful and significant role our wives have played in ministry. And uh, how has Sandy been a blessing to you and uh, your ministry over the years? You gave me this question, and so I've been thinking about that. Indeed, it has been. To have um, a great supportive wife is um, is a treasure yes. and uh, yes, I is. think cannot be overestimated in its importance. So here are some possible ways I would answer. First, she seldom, if ever, criticized me in public. Hmm. Uh, that's not to say she didn't criticize me. You know, we were two different people. We have different opinions. and But that was usually behind closed doors and, and so forth. Sure. Second, she understands and respects confidentiality. There would be times when she'd ask me a, a certain question for information, and I'd simply say, I can't tell you or I can't talk about that. And she'd never ask me again. And in the importance of confidentiality in the role of a pastor, I think you and all other pastors can appreciate how important Definitely. that is. And I would add, she's a person with many gifts, and she's been willing to use those gifts in a variety of roles. She's still a member of choir, praise team. She loves music. Yeah, she's got o a great alto voice. Over the years here at First Cutlerville, she's been involved in the ministry of gems. She was one of the leaders initially for 10 plus years when we had the Mops ministry. She presently is heading up a quilting group of ladies on Thursdays 
making neonatal quilts for the DeVos Children's Hospital. And she loves quilting and that project, but she loves the opportunity for uh, interacting with these ladies. Um, none of the other ladies in that group, and there be 16 to 18 of them, are members of this congregation. Sure. So, Yeah, I, I certainly appreciate those first two things of not being publicly criticized and valuing confidentiality because there are times where you're taking a phone call in the middle of something or you're writing a text or especially with our kids getting older, that's sort of become a different, uh, it's become a new learned thing for us that when you're in the front seat of the car, you just can't have those conversations like you used to. And that's okay. That's right. Um, but yeah, I, Steph has been uh, huge and important in that uh, as well. Yeah. So I think we both can yeah. appreciate and share that. And I think I can honestly say that in the years we've been at First Cutlerville, um, Sandy has been a more significant influence in the lives of certain number of our members than I ever would have the opportunity to be. Yeah, I would say that too, that there are times where uh, people love Steph a whole lot more than they love me, and that's okay. That's right. She's a lot more lovable than I am. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and her are both from Iowa, so uh, that is natural that you would appreciate her more right. than me. Culturally, there's a, a lot of research lately about pastors uh, leaving the ministry, being um, becoming extremely discouraged by the pastoral call uh, the number of pastors who are considering resigning or who have resigned through COVID is uh, pretty disheartening. I mean, it's incredibly high. And so as someone who um, is about 14, just about 14 years in, uh, having a great admiration for someone who's who's not only been faithful in ministry, but who's loved the church through that. Um, how How have you done that? Is that something that you try to intentionally cultivate over the years? Is that something that came naturally to you? How did you maintain your love for the church and its people through all the ups and downs? I don't know if it ever comes naturally to anyone. Hmm. I think it's primarily on my part, a conscious choice and a decision to love the members and to faithfully use your gifts in serving them. But it's never only a one-way street. Some people who uh, have left ministry or are thinking about it are maybe in the unfortunate situation of not having a supportive, loving congregation as we do. Agreed. Um, three congregations I served in full-time ministry over 40 years, and um in each of those situations, we love the people, but the people loved us and responded. And if a pastor doesn't feel loved or appreciated, uh, that's makes it extra tough. I can't imagine how difficult that would be. And so I think the role of the congregation in loving and supporting and praying for a pastor um, needs to be thoroughly emphasized as well. Yeah, I would echo that comment about being supported and loved, especially here at First Scholarville, you know, being our current situation. And 
how important that is when you're trying to interact with people. If you are wondering about whether they're going to be stabbing you in the back or talking poorly about you or trying to undermine some of the conversations and ministry goals, um, it's pretty tough to pursue those things full-hearted. I agree. And I think another important factor is the pastor needs to learn to continue to read, feed feed one's own soul and spirit, set proper boundaries, know when it's appropriate and necessary to say no. Those are things yeah, that... I, wanna, uh, I would uh, absolutely agree with that. And um, one of the things that uh, you probably know this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer about falling in love with the idea of a community. And I think one of the things that um, my colleagues and I, close friends, talk about often is trying to love the church as it is and not for who or what you hope it to become with you being there or me being there. And uh, yeah, does that idea resonate with you of just accepting and loving the people where they are? And It does. And I think a part of that is the communities in which we live or serve are different. You can't mm-hmm. expect that one is going to be just like the other. And so I think it's important for a pastor to actively and intentionally become a part of the community where you are living and serving. I think that's a significant way of showing the people in your congregation and those outside in the neighborhood as well that you are intentionally trying to be an active member of the community in which you live. So uh, it's been a long time since you first sort of knew you were going to be a pastor, felt called to be a pastor. Uh, Some of us have maybe heard that stories. Others of us haven't. Uh, When did you first feel called to enter or pursue pastoral ministry in the church? Well, before I even had a sense of calling, the church that I was a part of in Iowa, Sully, was known for producing a lot of pastors. That was before I became a pastor and after I became a pastor as well. There were people in the congregation that would just put that out there, say, did you ever think of becoming a pastor? I think you should consider that. The first time I was ever confronted with the idea was my fourth grade teacher at Sully Christian School. It was her first year of teaching. She wasn't from the community. She was from Northwest Iowa. She later married my first cousin and became a neighbor. Hmm. So that was interesting. But Mary was the first one, I think, that said, Ken, you should give thought or consideration to becoming a pastor from what I know of you in my class. Well, that was a shocker. I mean, fourth grade, how old was I? 11 years old or something like that. The teacher is saying you should think about becoming a pastor. But subsequent to that, there were many others in church who raised that issue. And so probably my sophomore, junior year of high school, 
I began to give it more serious consideration. After graduating from high school, when I came to Kelvin, I decided I would enroll as pre-SEM and see where that went. Sure. And along the way, that tentative decision was confirmed and supported rather than discouraged. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to hear in the calling pa- process for pastors the mix of internal call and external call. Um, and for me, the external was certainly stronger and more sure. uh, prevalent initially than the internal call. So if you were talking with a young person who was going to be entering into ministry, whether that be in a pastoral sense or uh, another kind of sense, uh, what would you share with them that to encourage or uh, in, yeah, encourage them? Well, I think that's going back to the previous question about calling. I think it, it takes more than just being interested in considering becoming a pastor. If the call is not there, I think the person, he or she, is soon going to be more frustrated than anything else. So I think calling is crucial, however that comes. Sure. To be clear about the call. Correct. And beyond that, I think it is important for a person to know that there are great blessings and there are huge challenges. Um, it's a wonderful role in God's church and kingdom. It comes with its own frustrations. And so if you're going into it thinking that you will be loved by everyone, that's a horribly false misconception. Um, you need to know that you have the ability to take criticism and to honestly consider it, and to work through that in spite of the criticism that comes. Yeah, one uh, theologian, I can't remember who it is, talks about pastoral ministry basically being a long death. That's probably overstating it a little bit, but... uh... Sounds like it might come from Eugene Peterson. (laughs) (laughs) He writes about a long journey, a long... Yeah, I I would echo that. Someone asked if uh, I would encourage my own children to pursue ministry, and I, um, you probably had that question over the years too about whether you'd encourage your own family members or um, children. And my response has always been, uh, being a pastor is an incredible privilege and a great joy, and there are things about it that are uh, I can't I I don't want to do anything else. I love this this call, um, but I don't know if I would ever encourage my children. Um, I, I don't want to be the first external voice that they hear when thinking about a call. Mm-hmm. I want them to to hear that from others if that's in fact what God is calling them toward. How did how did you think about that within your own parenting? The way I thought about it was I believe that the encouragement that we need to give to our kids falls, first of all, primarily in the line of the gifts that we see that God has given them. So if we see that they would have gifts that they could serve in such a role, 
we can raise that as an option or a possibility. But I think rather than saying, first of all, you should really be consider becoming a pastor because I am, that would be wrong. We should say, you need to, I see these gifts as mm-hmm. you having and having received from God. And so the area that you should consider should be in line with those gifts. So shifting gears a little bit, uh, you have uh, a number of, or had, or do, uh, a strong interest in sports. And you talked earlier about ensuring that the pastor has, we'll call it extracurricular outlets. Uh, Some of the members might be surprised to learn that for many, many years you played in a competitive volleyball league. You played fast pitch softball. Uh, Tell us a little bit about some of those experiences. Fast (laughs) fast pitch softball was um, at a previous chapter in my life type of thing. Um, I was a fast pitch softball player from an early age. There was a, a team of adult men that invited me to be a part of their team as soon as I had my license and didn't have to require on parents driving me. So, um, my birthday's on tax day in April. I think my parents had to drive me to a couple of practices before I actually got my license when I was 16. But so I started playing fast pitch softball with men when I was 16 and played until we got married in Iowa. I played one year while I was in seminary, when I had a summer assignment in the West Michigan area, we played at the rec center uh, with a team of seniors when I was a junior. And uh, in our first church, we served at McBain. There was a team and they needed a pitcher. So I pitched for them. When we moved to Zealand, there were teams that contacted me and asked me to be a part of their team. Wow. But I said, no. Because called. Our, <laughs> if you're going to be a fast pitch pitcher, you need to play several times a week to sure. keep your arm in shape. And at that time, our oldest son, Joel, was going to be playing his first year of Little League Baseball. And so I just decided it's time to make a switch. So mm-hmm. I made a big switch. I went from playing fast pitch softball as a pitcher to playing slow pitch softball as a shortstop for a church team. What about the volleyball? That's uh, there's rumors in the office about uh, a certain competitive streak showing itself when uh, on the volleyball court. Yeah, be, <laughs> being too competitive is probably one of my weaknesses. Uh, but I did play. Uh, volleyball with a group of pastors for over 30 years. Wow. When we moved to Zealand, I was told that there were a group of pastors, primarily CRC and RCA, that played Fridays at the Dow Center on Hope's campus. And so that first fall, I uh, started playing. And there were lots of people. They set up two courts for us. We would usually have 20 to 25 people play. Well, the numbers dwindled over the years, but (laughs) I continued to play. I think I played maybe even one year after I retired. Okay. After after we moved from Zealand to First Cutlerville, 
sure. uh, would drive. And then when Dan Gritter came, we would uh, drive together on Fridays. We both played. So it was a great outlet, and I enjoyed the activity and the, and the camaraderie. Usually there would be a group of us that would go to Russ's for coffee or goodies to eat afterwards, <laughs> and that became probably as I got older, that became even more important than sure. the volleyball. Sure. So, I played I played golf with pastors. I was gonna say how I was do in you, a pastors uh, bowling league for several years. Okay. So lots of ways to scratch your competitive yeah. and now I'm in a fantasy football league and in <laughs> fantasy baseball leagues things have transitioned. Very good. Well we are um running out of time, but I wanna just say thanks for taking time to uh, record, to talk, to share a little bit about yourself and uh, ministry. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming in. Thank you. You're welcome. 